Hi everyone, I'm Madeline Park, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. If my objective was to venture style stories into more visual and event-based mediums, what better than to land a place in the Vivid Sydney Festival? Honoured to be hosting Fashion's Flash, Back to the Future, Season 8 shares the style and stories of the forward-thinking talent who've joined me on the journey of producing this event, which will take place on June the 7th at the UTS Great Hall in Sydney. This series will continue to share stories of creative people with a strong sense of style, but with a vivid team, united by their can-do views and dream big visions. I hope these stories help seek change, spark a new idea, or just inspire you to shine. Today, I'm chatting with fashion designer, Nicole Oliviera, who is the head designer and my general right-hand woman for our Vivid event, Fashion's Flash Back to the Future. From the moment Nicole dropped into my inbox, I knew she'd be integral to the project, not only because she happens to design the coolest collection of upcycled clothes, but because she always gives careful consideration to history, identity, and culture, to both her style and her story. Shaped by her Filipino heritage and her Western Sydney upbringing, her sustainable methodologies and modern aesthetic not only promise hope for a future of circular fashion, but as a designer, make her one to watch. Oh, and she's an absolute joy to be around with a heart of gold and can nerd out or cry over all the little fashion details, just like the best of us. I hope you can sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to Nicole's story. Okay, well, Nicole, uh, thank you for joining me today. Uh, you obviously, we've obviously struck up such a strong friendship over the last couple of months, working so closely together on the Vivid event. Uh, but I think, and I've told you this before, but uh, I, as soon as I, you came into my inbox and I looked at your website, uh, I think I fell in love with you before I even met you. <laughs> Uh, but everything that you talk about in terms of the way that you approach fashion, design, style, just resonated so strongly with not only the event um, in terms of upcycling and sustainability, but um, really with the podcast and the way that you talk about um, integrating your heritage, your identity and your culture uh, in everything that you do. Um so I felt like we were kindred spirits. <laughs> um, and yeah, you proved to be everything that I had hoped <laughs> from <Not> you. <laughs> if not more, if not more. But uh, starting off, like let's go um, into that identity piece. And, you know, we've had lots of conversations about, you know, your family and um, how important they are to you. But do you want to just kick off by giving um, a bit of a picture about your Filipino heritage and, you know, your your parents' immigration to Australia and the effect that that had on you in terms of the way you've grown up? Um, from the Philippines originally, they um, they immigrated to Australia in the late '80s, and they already had my two older brothers, and um, yeah, like. So they, they got here because my dad was like a skilled worker kind of visa. So that's how they got here. Um, and he also already had family here. So that helped with them moving here. But through that, they had to sacrifice a lot. So my mom 
left all of her family. She doesn't have any family here. Um, they didn't speak any English, um, knew very little about Australia, but they just knew they needed to be here to give a better opportunity for, at that time, just my brothers. And then, yeah, a few years later, I was born. Um, and I think I think because I was born here, I didn't really have a strong connection with my with Filipino culture. I didn't learn. My parents made a very um, they made a decision quite early on to just speak to us in English and not teach us um, Filipino because when my brothers first arrived, they so sorry. When my brothers first arrived, they used to get bullied quite a bit at school because they didn't un, they didn't speak English. So they made that decision. Okay, we're only going to speak to them in English. They're not going to learn um, Filipino. So. Yeah, I grew up with quite a bit of a disconnect. Um, the really the only connection I had was through food, through my mum's cooking. But knowing history, anything about the culture was very, very limited to just what I knew in this like with my immediate family. Um, and so, as I was growing up, I, I didn't. It wasn't like I rejected my Filipino side. It was just I didn't have a very strong understanding of it. So I didn't feel very strongly in my own identity Filipino. I feel like I felt like I couldn't claim that. Um, but then I also felt like I wasn't really Australian either because I didn't kind of fit that kind of stereotype of what an Australian, you know, looked like or what I thought an Australian looked like. Um, so as I grew older, I was... I kind of had that, you know, that niggling feeling in the back of my head, like I should probably learn more about my culture and my heritage. Um, and it wasn't until I was in uh, studying fashion that I was like, you know, what? I'm going to deep dive into my culture. I'm going to go over to the Philippines and not just only visit family, but I wanted to understand more about, yeah, my heritage, my culture, especially the history, things that I wasn't really taught through my family um, and that was like a huge eye-opening visit for me I did it in my last year of uni and it was to it was to help me conceptualize my last graduate collection and yeah that was like a really big turning point in my identity as well um, understanding like my culture and that um, the history of the Philippines and how yeah a lot of it came from like colonialism and it's just this very layered and complex um, culture that you know derives a lot of influences from all these different places and it was just like oh this is this is me as well like I come from all these different stories and influences that you know on the surface they look like they you know they're not really how would you say um connected yeah connected and there was just so many layers and I felt like, oh, that's that's me as well. Like I'm Australian, I'm from Western Sydney, I'm Filipino as well. I've got all these different, you know, kind of layers that don't really kind of mix, but they somehow do in me. And yeah, so um, yeah, that was like a really big turning point in my identity as well. Yeah. So go going back a step in terms of, you know, growing up, you, you said that um, your parents kind of, you know, didn't necessarily expose you to um, Filipino culture um, yeah. other than through food. Yeah. And I don't know your mum. Your mum still. I'm still waiting to try her curry. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
But uh, I know that family was incredibly important to you growing up and there's a really strong sense of family. You've got this beautiful photo of um, on your Instagram account of your, your parents with your brothers as babies and I think you told me that that was your aunties in the photo as well. Yeah. Can you tell me what that photo kind of gives a window into in terms of family life for you guys at, at home in Western Sydney growing up? My earliest memories was living in this house in Quakers Hill and it was the house right behind my auntie. So we grew up very close, my auntie and her um, and my cousins that were living there and me and my brothers. So, And our backyards were connected. So we were always together. We had really big parties um, in the backyard. So my earliest memories growing up in Western Sydney are in that backyard in those two houses. We were just like running across the backyard to each other's place and you know the food was always flowing and um what was what was also a really big core memory is my auntie converted her garage into like a sewing studio as well so I spent so much time in that sewing studio just watching her you know make dresses for people and you know um like formal dresses and all that kind of stuff and um, yeah, I think that really like solidified a really strong bond between me and my cousins and my family and that we just do everything together. And even though we've grown a bit older and everyone's got their families now, we still really, when we connect, it's like as if, you know, no time has really passed between us because, yeah, you just remember about, you know, being kids, just like playing backyard cricket um, with each other. And it was really nice growing up in that house. Um, really, really fond memories because yeah, and, we weren't we were never really alone. There was always someone home. Yeah. And in terms of like your your auntie, obviously mm-hmm. um, having her kind of sewing room in the garage, uh, I imagine that that was a big influence on you. But did she um, did she kind of bring you into the loop? Did she teach you all the things that you know how to do now? Like, or, or was it just um, that you kind of got to to watch it all? Yeah, it was more like just watching her. I just, I will never forget just sitting in her studio and just watching her make something out of nothing. She never really taught me, but it was just nice to be around someone super creative and just, yeah, I don't know. I just loved walking to a studio and it was just so full of fabrics and like, you know, it was just overflowing with all this like sewing paraphernalia and it was a big mess, but it just it just felt, I just thought it was so cool. (laughs) Yeah. As a kid, I just thought it was just such a cool place, like a little wonderland in there. Um, And just like watching her like sew up something, like you just be like, oh, you know, I don't have a jumper. And like in an afternoon, she's just like, like, you know, sews one up (laughs) for you. And she makes like five and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks. Did that? Like, (laughs) Um, so it was just like cool to be around that. And um, just to watch her do that as well. So I just really influenced by that. Yeah. In terms of her aesthetic or the things that you're exposed to, I know we have a shared love of feminine details like sequins and yeah. lace. <laughs> if she was like like whipping up formal dresses, do you think that your kind of love for that stuff started then, like seeing all those kind of trimmings and finishes like yeah (laughs) yeah she had like you know lacy bit like all these different kinds of decorative things I used to 
she used to make me a lot of dresses as well when I was a kid and they were always super flouncy, super frilly, like lots of layers of pink and, um, you know, they were always a bit itchy, but it (laughs) didn't matter (laughs) because they just looked so like, um, yeah, they just looked really cool and she would, you know, bead them and sometimes like use like glitter glue and you know draw really pretty flowers and things like that so yeah I was exposed to like a really young age like how to embellish something um and just be around all those little little things sequins and beads and glittery you're the only girl in your like your immediate family too right yeah it was was this like a site for you just to indulge in all of that girly stuff that your brothers wouldn't want to participate in yeah pretty much yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I know that you've said like kind of your your parents were actively tried to I guess assimilate you guys into the, the more Australian kind of in inverted commas um, culture but um, was do you would you say that any um, was there any influence of a Filipino aesthetic there in the work that your auntie did or the way that she kind of worked um not so much actually not like looking back not so much maybe she'd made a few like Filipino um barongs which is like a formal um shirt that men wear to like weddings and things like that but no looking back honestly it was pretty much just food and listening to my family speak the Galog to each other um was really where I saw any Filipino like culture um, but uh, and I guess that really strong like family bond that we have with each other is very Filipino as well where mm. you know you get together and it's like super loud kind of thing and everyone's like <laughs> um, but other than that I, I yeah not much else to be honest it was really yeah I knew that there was a lot of Filipino like festivals around in Western Sydney but my family didn't go to those things we yeah, we just weren't really connected with those communities. But I knew that in Western Sydney there was a big Filipino um, community out here and, um, yeah. So when we've spoken, I know, like, I found it so interesting when you did tell me about your graduate collection and how you um, kind of deployed these kind of more traditional Filipino techniques into some of the things that you produce. Uh is this so did you learn all of that when you kind of went on your own I guess um you know like pilgrimage back to the Philippines is that when you you gained all that knowledge about some of those techniques yeah pretty much I literally did a lot of research here before I went to the Philippines and just um before I went and also when I was there just like learning I think I just wanted to experience more of my culture rather than just going to the Philippines and seeing my family which I love but um it was nice to go even just visit some museums um where I saw a lot of like you know the history explained and things like that but yeah I did a bit of research here and I found out that piña cloth which is like a it's like the fabric of the Philippines it's woven from pineapple fibers I found out whilst I was here that it was actually woven in my mum's hometown like that's where it's originated from and then I remember approaching my mom and I was like mom you didn't tell me that piña cloth comes from like your hometown and she's like yeah 
it's there. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you'd think she'd tell me, like, but yeah, a lot of that research was <clears throat> my own, and um, even what other things did you <clears throat> find out? Because I, when, when you, when we were talking about it in the studio, I was, you know, I was like, oh my god, tell me more. This is this is cool. <laughs> what tell? Um, can you just share some other uh, kind of techniques and things that you learned? Um, <clears throat> there wasn't so much <clears throat> techniques, but sorry. <clears throat> but I learning about like the national Filipino dress um, and the influences of where like where that all came from, like learning that you know the Spanish did come and col- um, colonize Australia, um, Australia, the Philippines for like three hundred years, and through that they brought a lot of their European um, styles, and that's what's influenced a lot of like the Filipino national dress and how that's. Um, you know, that's how that's kind of integrated into uh, the, you know, like the formal wear that they wear mm. in Philippines. And I found that so interesting that something that came from, you know, something that wasn't, yeah, from someone who colonised them has still influences like Filipino fashion. And I found that really interesting. So a lot of like the European styles had like big sleeves and, the big trains, but um, <clears throat> it was kind of made more Filipino by using like the pina cloth. Um, and yeah, I just found that really interesting. So you, you're already kind of nodding to this idea of like two worlds, which um, you, you, I know that you've just kind of spoken about earlier. Um, and you, that sense of like of being, um, finding identity in more than one place is really present in your in your actual upcycle collection and so I think again one of the first things that I said to you that I loved and what I noticed about your style was this beautiful juxtaposition between these feminine details that you know of the lace and the sequence that obviously kind of came as a observation point sitting in your yeah. auntie's <laughs> sewing room um but then there's kind of uh more masculine energy um the, the and this kind of more urban street wear uh that that is quite obvious through your collection as well and the way that you put those things together so harmoniously mm-hmm. uh is just it uh, you know that I, that's as I said I fell in love with you before I even met you know it's like <laughs> this girl's so cool um but tell me, like, you know, like uh, we can obviously assume that your Western Sydney upbringing kind of had something to do with it, but do you want to just kind of flesh that out a little bit more? Yeah, so um, Western Sydney's got its own kind of style. It's very, um, yeah, it's very streetwear and, like, <clears throat> you know, we used to think, like, wearing tracksuit pants, like wearing tracksuit pants is, like, kind of cool and, um yeah, it's just very urban and I wanted to incorporate that into my, into the most recent collection that I've made because to me that feels, you know, mostly Western Sydney. That's like very much of our area and, um, yeah, just kind of inspired by what my friends wear as well and, um, yeah, (laughs) that's pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of what you see when you walk around like Mount Druid and Blacktown you know, people rock, you know, their streetwear quite proudly and, um, you know, sneakers is like a big thing here as well. And, yeah, that's what our area kind of gravitates towards. It's like that comfortable but, um, 
you know, it's like urban and yeah, it's street because we're quite street out here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in, in terms of like your actual collection, can you just describe to people, like to the audience, how you you do pull those things together, like your T-shirts, bit, like a great example of just mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, so usually I'll start off being inspired by like a piece, like a like a shirt or something, and then <clears throat> I'll just try and figure out using like what I've got, you know, like dead, dead stock that I have from like, um, past collections and things like that how can I integrate those things because yeah that's pretty much like how I try and explore my identity try and you know mix things that kind of juxtapose each other together and but still do it in a way that's fresh and that it's not so you know a, a way that they blend well together and I have a lot of lace and a lot of like floral you know things lots of beads and yeah I just try and think of a way of how could I integrate you know those things together um like a probably one of my favorite pieces is like this Canterbury t-shirt that I had and I I split it with like another polo shirt because I feel like a polo shirt is just so western Sydney like (laughs) um and I was like you know what what if I just like slap a bit of like you know lace motifs on it you know just try and try and switch it up a little bit but not too much and then in that way I was also trying to be inspired by like the barong which is the the Filipino um, formal uh, wear that men have and then it usually has like floral embroidery around the neck so I tried to you know harken back Mm. to that with the polo shirt and try and mix all those elements together so yeah and you do it so well I didn't I didn't know that (laughs) That's cool. Um, And so in speaking of fashion influences, you know, kind of growing up in this more urban environment but having your auntie and your family be like a really central part of who you are, and I know that's still the case, but, um, you know, like where did you find fashion, like in terms of your own kind of love for it or your inspiration for it from a greater level like like what designers did you look at growing up or did you was that something that's come later um I well yeah I was always around fashion because of my auntie but I remember um I remember in high school kind of slowly becoming more like interested in like fashion um I was really into the 1960s fashion in high school like I absolutely loved 1960s fashion loved um the style of like Audrey Hepburn and like you know the 1960s models like Jean Shrimpton and Twiggy like that was probably like my first like interest in fashion um and I do, do you know that I did like we have not even just yeah I've that. never mentioned this because yeah <laughs> um but that was like my first like f- because you know I love 60s fashion and I loved the Beatles when I was a teenager so it's just so funny that that's (laughs) something that you love but I know why I found that why did you why would do you think you kind of gravitated to that 60s aesthetic okay honestly I don't think I've actually told anyone this but I remember in history class and I was looking looking through our history textbook and there was a picture of Jean Shrimpton at the Australian um but it was the Melbourne Cup yeah yes (laughs) and I have this 
burnt in my memory. I remember seeing that picture of her in that white dress, mini like that mini dress, and mm-hmm. I was like, this is so cool. Like she looks amazing. I just thought she looked so fashionable. And um, that was like for me the first like, wow, like who is this? Like this, I just thought it was so cool. And I'm like, I want to dress like her. I want to be like her. I want to like exude what she had. And then from there, I just started looking into like, okay, this is Jean Shrimpton. And then I started looking into more 1960s models. And then I just fell in love with 1960s fashion. Like I love the mod look, love the mini skirt, the dresses, the hair, the music, the style. And I just fell in love with that. And then that was kind of like my first puree. I like changed my whole wardrobe. (laughs) I had lots of mini skirts, mini dresses. Um, And actually, because I couldn't really, I was still in high school, I couldn't really afford these things. I would go to Salvo's and find you know, pieces that were similar and then I would change them. I'd make them shorter, I'd turn them into mini skirts, mini dresses. Um, I remember getting like black pants, like, you know, huge business work pants and then I tapered them into like, you know, like cigarette pants that, you know, Audrey Hepburn used to wear. And this was kind of like my first puree into like, like, yeah, like my first. Upcycling. Yeah, of upcycling without me even knowing it. I was just trying to do it because, you know, I couldn't really afford those things myself. So I was like, I'm just going to make them. And then that's when I asked for my mom for a sewing machine because I was like, I want to start making these like 1960s pieces for myself. Um, And, yeah, that's when I really started to upcycle. I started learning about seams and, okay, what can I cut? What can I cut? I had a lot of things that failed, but then I also had a lot of pieces that I absolutely, you know, that worked out and that I loved. And um, yeah, and then that kind of, and then I really fell in love with sewing after that as well. And um, yeah, and then it was just kind of, it all came to a head. I was like, oh, this actually makes sense. Like I've grown up watching this and I enjoy doing this and that joy of like making something that I've thought of myself, like, and going out and doing it and making it. Yeah. I I got a lot of joy out of that as well. So yeah. All thanks to 1960s fashion, really. (laughs) Oh my God. Isn't it funny because it's so incredible, like the power of that one image. Um, Because when I was, I'm obviously older than you, but when (laughs) I was a teenager and fell in love with the 60s aesthetic, it was because I fell in love with Beatles music and, um, and, you know, some of those images like Paul McCartney with his first um, girlfriend who um, she was she was this beautiful red-headed actress on British television and, you know, that, that aesthetic kind of really stuck yeah. with me and resonated with me too. Um, but, you know, you do start to then explore it and yeah you go down a wormhole (laughs) you you really do um especially when you're like you and I um (laughs) but it's funny because that drove me to go want to to have the desire to go live in London um is that is that what happened to you yeah 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 and I I just really wanted to go to Carnaby Street because I'd heard so much about it and I was like I just got to go to London and I've got to go down Carnaby Street and 
I was so lucky. I got to work on Carnaby Street at the Doc Martens store and oh I was pinching myself. I was like, I've read about this place and how it was the hit place to be in the 60s and I get to work here now. It was just like, ah, I was like, okay, I'm done. I can go home now. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> refresh my memory. Did you go to London before you then studied at UTS? Um, in fashion design yes. yeah. yeah 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 and so was that the kind of like the push was just kind of to explore these kind of cultural elements more and just travel and I think because before um I'd left to to go to London I still didn't really I didn't really think that fashion was something I could study and and do it was because it was always something I did on the side it was a bit more of like a hobby um, but then when I went to to London I, and I was trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do? That's when I realized, you know what, I actually really love sewing. I really love fashion. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to study it. And um, yeah, I made that decision while I was there. I just felt like I needed to get out of Sydney to think about it. And um, yeah. And then when I came back, I was like, yeah, I know exactly what I want to do. And I actually applied for UTS whilst I was in London and did my portfolio there so but um and then yeah when I came back I was like yeah this is I was so confident in knowing what I wanted to do um then and yeah and and do you think that time away from like it you know everything you knew because you obviously have such such a tight-knit family um Mm -hmm. and um do you think like kind of being able to step away from that and uh allowed you to to also hone in on this idea of who you are away from you know this kind of this position where you you felt like you were in like living in two different culture cultures I like if you like um but being outside of either of those did you feel like like how did that affect you yeah I really needed it I felt like after I'd finished school I yeah finished school I just had no idea what I wanted to do and I felt um I just couldn't really think I couldn't really have like a perspective of because I don't know for me it felt like Sydney was a bit of a bubble and I didn't feel like I could really think like for me what I wanted I it was it felt like I'm sure like a lot of people who finish school think okay what you get not pressured, but you think about what everyone else around you wants for you. And I feel that um, I really just needed to get away and like think about what I wanted to do. And I thought the best way was to go to London, (laughs) but to get out and just like feel that struggle as well. Like I love my parents because they've provided so much for me and my brothers. And, um, but it was kind of nice to go out and actually just, you know, take care of myself and having to learn all those life skills with you know struggle and challenges and not have you know your parents to take care of you in that way like I really just needed to feel that that pinch um and in that in that headspace I was able to you know really think all right what do I really enjoy what do I really want to do what are the things I'm passionate about um and you know just away from everybody else you know what what my friends were doing what my family might think I should do and um yeah I really needed that time away to think 
and and to just yeah learn some life skills like how to <laughs> how, how to, to adult very little you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah um in terms of being in London uh did you did you kind of pursue that sense of thrifting and op shopping um at, whilst you were there or <laughs> were you like not able to buy any clothes at all <laughs> so broke I couldn't afford yeah. anything but I did go to a lot of vintage stores just to look and I just thought yeah the vintage and secondhand clothes that they've got there actually I used to go to a thrift store really close to our house um in London and um, they just used to have the coolest stuff in there. I remember finding like this really cool vintage like fur coat. It was huge for um, probably like 10 pounds or something. Even I couldn't even. <laughs> but I was like, there's no point in me buying this because I can't take this home with me. But um, yeah, the secondhand and vintage that they have over there is insane and yeah. so awesome. But I remember thinking, I think I needed to get away from Australia and Sydney to fall in love with you know, Australia and Sydney again, because growing up, I had that, like such a disconnect. Um, <clears throat> and it was nice to actually get away and actually be like, you know what, it's pretty cool in Sydney and in Australia and to be Australian. And yeah, I, I could not. What, wait what did you, what did you, <clears throat> what did you find that you came to value about that? I about think, being Australian <clears throat> while you're away from it? I think that one of the biggest things was knowing because London is so huge. I mean, it's so huge. London is so big. There's so many people there. You feel like it's very hard to, to make a dent in anything if you're there. And I just thought, you know what, like I come from a great city where you could make something for yourself and it has such a strong impact quite quickly because we're not as big as London. Um, and that's why I was really excited to come back because I was like, I could study fashion there and I could make something for myself so much more and be so much more impactful than I could in London. And in terms of like, uh, obviously we've touched on resourcefulness um, yeah. and like that came from being, you know, like interested in fashion, you know, as a teenager, um, but also, you know, just as you, you go along. But I imagine that your family would have been quite resourceful um, in terms of the way that you've grown up. Mm -hmm. How did you translate that into kind of the the sense of sustainability that you have such a strong ethic for? Did that come when you started uni and started studying these processes? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, like, being if you're Filipino, you just it's to be Filipino is to be super resourceful. And I've seen it with like my family. I've seen it with, especially my family back home. They just make, they will make something work. Like, uh, you know, that there could be a car that's got, actually my cousin has a car that has no doors, no roof. Like it's, it should really be in a, in a tip, but he still <laughs> makes it work. Like we're very resourceful people. And so I've grown up with that and then also started upcycling when I was in um, in high school before I even knew that what upcycling was. I didn't even know that word. Mm. Um, but then in uni, I was really exposed to how much waste you make um, when you make clothes. And that really 
bothered me, like how much wastage there was. And then as we're, you know, studying in uni, you learn about the effects of the fashion industry has on, <clears throat> yeah, on, on the, you know, the world really. The like environment, the, yeah. Yeah, the environment, um, the amount of wastage, the amount of dyes that go into like a lot of waterways, um, just the amount of water that it takes to to grow cotton and things like that. So you, we, I started being more exposed to the, you know, the damaging effects that fashion had. And I felt like I didn't want to be part of that problem. I didn't want to, you know, exacerbate that. Um, and I think it's like a really important for emerging designers to be more responsible and to try and find more innovative ways to be more sustainable because we know so much about how damaging the industry can be. Um, and yeah, so it's it's just it's hard to just know those facts and then but keep, you know, you know, doing all keep those going. Things. Yeah, to keep yeah. going. Like you, if you know those things, you want to be the change. And that's why I've, you know, tried to just use secondhand clothing or dead stock fabrics and things that I already have and try and be resourceful and not look at it as something that limits your work, but you know, it provides a space where you can be innovative and challenge yourself to find, you know, really cool different ways to still be fresh whilst using something that's, you know, already been. And I just find that so much more of an interesting place to design and work from rather than just always starting anew and like whatever you can think of, you you just, you know, you take. Um, I yeah. read a really interesting quote last night on on Instagram Um, and I'm not going to get it 100% right but somebody said something along the lines of um, being creative isn't about having a blank canvas but working within a parameter like finding the way to work within um, a parameter Um, and I actually think I prefer that like working on a blank canvas is almost scary because there's so many options and, you know, yeah. I'm interested in so many things. But when you've got a parameter, you just have to work within that and you you become incredibly resourceful. But obviously that that thread is so inherently part of who you are and, and it's been there from the beginning. But upcycling in itself is like, you know, you just kind of invented it in your own mind. <laughs> it's not like something you were exposed to and then took on board. You, you That came literally out of um, uh, out of being resourceful. But do you think that this, this process of upcycling and doing the kinds of things that you do, and you do it so well, but do you think that is the future of fashion do you think that we will move towards more of those models from your from what you've learned uni what you've been exposed to in the industry I'd like to believe too that that it is um I think there's still like a long way to go but um I think the future of fashion it needs to be a closed um cycle it really needs to be a closed cycle a circular economy yeah circular economy but um yeah it's it's there's still so much work to do and it's um it really does start from the top and goes all the way down as much as we can do as much on our part buying less um trying to you know thrift if we can and do all those other things on our level like it really starts from the top but um 
But a lot of those top, you know, brands and company, they look at emerging designers. So if emerging designers start, you know, trying to upcycle and, you know, it's where the, I like to think we're the ones who really set trends, you know, with our, um, with our communities and our friends and that's what trickles up. So, and we are, I am seeing a lot more brands being more um, using like secondhand items and clothing. And um, I know that there's a fashion, there's a fashion designer in France called Marine Serre, and she's trying to really change the industry with um, her regenerative um, collections, which uses secondhand clothing. And she's really trying to change it from that level Mm. And I, I really think it's working because there's so many emerging brands that are doing the same thing now. And it's it's like a cool way to be unique as well. So you know what you're wearing is not the same as what someone else has out there as well. So, yeah. It's and it's a great way to tell a story, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. kind of integrate, um, you know, what I love about what you do and, and um Sorry, what's the designer's name? Marine, you, sir. Yeah. Marine, yeah, you, you've exposed me to <laughs> But the, the, the cool thing about, like, seeing those um, kind of, you know, the, these designs is that they tell a story but in a really modern way. So yeah. they integrate that history but present it in a way that feels fresh, it feels modern, it doesn't feel like you're wearing, you know, like a 60s, you know, like costume because yeah. some, sometimes vintage pieces can feel a little costumey, you know, um, because they don't feel of the moment. But to be able to make things feel fresh um, and futuristic is uh, but still kind of honouring the history um, yeah. is incredible to me. But uh, And that kind of, you know, I guess it brings us to the um, event fashion's flashback yeah. to the future um you know like that was kind of the premise of of that is to how do we honor our history but still kind of know what we need to do uh to make it relevant for the future mm-hmm. uh, and one of the discussion points in there that I would have liked to have fleshed out more but um something that is relevant to you is like whilst the circular fashion economy is obviously a really important way to move forward and needs to be understood in a better, wider scope. There's some real struggles for, for that. And as an emerging designer that is doing that, can you just share like some of the stuff that you find really tricky? Um, and, you know, yeah, like the, the, like I know we've discussed it, but um, yeah, things like scaling and, and resources for you yeah well for me what I find challenging sorry is yes scalability and producing like quantity because I'm only one person and um yeah once you start like you know introducing more people to help you produce that's when the cost goes up and it's really hard for an emerging designer to to front those costs unless they have a backing um so it ices out a lot of people who don't have you know, that financial backing. But um, yeah, so that's one of the challenges. Also, one of the one of the big challenges for me is finding um as much as I love using secondhand clothing, it's also the secondhand clothing that we're starting to find now in shops. It's all polyester, fast fashion, and it's it's um it's really hard to 
repurpose that. Yeah, repurpose that because the quality of the fabric is just like not great. And um, yeah, it's just that's now becoming a challenge because so much of that stuff is now flooding into thrift stores and um yeah so that's that's the challenge I'm finding I'm I'm also trying to think of a collection for the future like okay how can I take those low quality polyester items and turn them into a collection but yeah it is really really hard um uh, what also um challenges yeah I think yeah it's scalability and like understanding like my time and my labor and um yeah, what because <laughs> one of your pieces, your your sequined um, yeah halter top that Nina wore at the actual vivid event. How how long did it take you to make that? So each that top was made out of seven floral um, lace motive pieces, um, and each of those motive pieces took about um, seven hours to bead. So seven times seven is like 50 hours. Um, yep. Just me in my studio beating. All your little recycled beads, like matching the colour. I can't yeah. even imagine matching the color, yellows for <laughs> each of those beads. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so, it sometimes just feels like a losing battle because, you know, as much as we can try and change people's attitudes to, you know, think more locally um, invest in more quality pieces and it's just it's really hard to fight against you know fast fashion when they're producing um, you know clothes at such a fast rate and at really good prices for people and I can understand not everyone can afford like to save up for an investment piece sometimes you, you really do need like clothes and um, you know those fast fashion places you know provide at like at a at a price point that you know people can afford so I understand it is really hard but um yeah it's kind of it would be nice to shift people's attitudes to just to just to to spend less and to to invest in quality pieces would be great and um and also to shop locally would be really you know that uh, we're not sending so much money overseas and it you know, it becomes at the expense of the people, those garment workers in factories overseas, like, yeah, trying to spend locally. and But it is also really hard to try and find those brands as well. So there's a lot of things against <laughs> against us. But, yeah, change is slow, but it's possible. Yeah. And um, in terms of the future, Nick, what do you, what do you see it holding for you? What would you like it to hold for you? I, at the moment, I would just like to keep like pumping out some collections here and there throughout the year and, um, yeah, just see what people really like with my work and just to keep going. And, um, yeah, I think it's always going to be a challenge to see if this is a viable, <laughs> yes. sustainable thing for me, but I just love it so much. So I'm just going to keep making some collections and releasing them throughout the year and yeah just see how people uh, do it <laughs> well you know that 
I'm your number one cheerleader. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I will I will help support that process no whatever way I can. Uh, my last question, Nick. Uh, you're obviously your beautiful kind of combination of uh, streetwear and you know sequins and feminine details is, is like a really important part of your style and your story, but how do you think that will kind of continue as you get old? Like what do you think that you'll be wearing um, when you're like 70, 80 years old? Oh, yeah. You're going to, I hopefully at that age, I want to just like wear sequins all the time, <laughs> vintage sequins and um, lots of beading. And because I, I mean, you know that my style is quite like understated, but yeah. hopefully at that age, I'm just going to be all out. <laughs> just embracing all the parts. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine oh God, you <laughs> in a little sequin beret. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> and just some nice slacks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, well, um, you know, I love you. Thank you so much for joining me today. And um, I look forward to doing heaps of stuff with you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Well, Nicole may have felt a disconnect from both her Filipino heritage and her Australian upbringing in Western Sydney, her design aesthetic is now clear. Connecting feminine Filipino references with a streetwear sensibility, Nicole's aesthetic feels contemporary and cool while sustainably honouring her history. Her resourceful instinct for upcycling highlights her considerate hand and heart but it's Nicole's ability for modern day storytelling in her work that makes her style feel fresh, fabulous, and like the future of fashion.